Hello, everybody. This is Marshall Poe. I'm the editor of the New Books Network. NBN listeners like to read books and buy them. So we thought we'd tell you that right now, our friends at Princeton University Press are having a remarkable site-wide sale. You can get 50% off books, including ebooks and audiobooks, with the code 50, F-I-F-T-Y, at checkout until May 31. You can save some real money on Princeton University Press books. I encourage you to go there and check it out. Welcome to the New Books Network. Hello, this is Lily Gorin with the New Books Network, the New Books and Political Science podcast. Today I'm joined by my colleague and longtime um, politics, literature, film, and the arts collaborator in crimes, um, Lee Trepanier, who is the author, or the editor, excuse me, the editor of Making Sense of Diseases and Disasters, Reflections of Political Theory from Antiquity to the Age of COVID. This is a really interesting compilation of explorations into the idea of diseases from, you know, discussions in ancient texts, both plays and histories, to more contemporary writers like Locke and Bacon, who themselves were living through plagues and diseases. And of course, it's kind of bookended on either side by really thinkings about contemporary responses to not only COVID, but also other um, experiences like Fukushima, um, 9-11, and, and so forth. But I'm going to let Lee take us on a little tour of this edited volume. First, I'd like to welcome Lee to the New Books in Political Science podcast and ask him to tell us a little bit about himself and how this project unfolded. Well, thank you, Lily, for having me on, on the podcast. I, I appreciate it. Um, it. It was an interesting book. Obviously, this book uh, was prompted by the, the, the COVID pandemic. It um, prompted me to think about what um, not only our, not only the the, the, our, the United States response to COVID, but in terms of how um, other societies have responded to uh, COVID, and then it sort of broadened to diseases, and then even broadened broadened even further to disasters. And so, how, what can um, you know? How do societies react when they're confronted with diseases and disasters? Do they react in a way where they um, try to? To blame a group that's responsible for it and, and scapegoat, scapegoat, scapegoat them, or do they react in a way where they try to care for one another and cooperate, um, and try to face the common common disease or disaster together? So those were sort of raised for me interesting sort of political questions and, and questions of political philosophy. So initially, I t- talked to some colleagues and see whether they would want, be interested in writing on this topic. Um, we initially limited it to diseases, but then um, as I was thinking about more and more. There are actually some events, as you mentioned, like 9-11, uh, Hurricane Katrina, uh, plagues uh, in, in the past that, that sort of um, that also, I think, needed to be, to be addressed as well. So it, we were able to, I think, collect a number of um, rising scholars and established scholars to address the, these, these issues. Um, it's really the book itself is divided into five um, into four sections. The first really deals with the COVID pandemic. The second one is sort of looking at the role of uh, diseases and plagues in sort of the early modern to modern period, both in Europe and in in, in America when it was colonized. Um, and the third section sort of looks at the role of plagues and diseases and disasters in antiquity, classical Rome and classical Greece. 
And in the fourth section, we do sort of, um, it's more of a literary approach to sort of questions of diseases and disasters, things such as 9-11, Hurricane Katrina, so on and so forth. So um, the theme of disease and disasters is a theme that unites the book, but we're, we, we've taken a sort of multidisciplinary approach, inviting communication scholars, literature scholars, political theorists, philosophers, theologians to write on what they think, how societies and thinkers react in times of uh, crisis. Yeah. And, and again, there's like a, a whole variety of interrogations that are going on in this book, um, which you nicely kind of group together in these sections that help to think about, you know, again, we're still coming out of COVID um, and and we still have a very present understanding of something like 9-11. Um, but you also talk about it, your authors talk about, um, you know, how other cultures and other societies have sort of wrestled with COVID. That's a, sort of the first part of the book. Um, can you explain a little bit about how the thinking went on on sort of pulling different scholars together to think about not only the U.S.'s response or the West's response, but, you know, what we start to understand about humanity and ourselves um, from from COVID? Sure. No, I, I think it, it's a great way to um, sort, of, sort of have that inter- interdisciplinary perspective and global perspective on COVID. I think what we've seen, what the authors address, for example, is in some cases you have uh, societies that sort of react in a, in a very, um, uh, how do you want to say, uh, polarized or factionist sort of way where they sort of promote a certain ideology. One of the authors points out, for example, that it's, um, you know, this gave, this was a perfect opportunity for the rise of sort of white Christian nationalism to reassert itself and, and sort of play on the fears of the American public to uh, take advantage of the pandemic and and uh, sort of reconfigure political order in, in a different sort of way. Others, authors have looked at sort of as way, uh, types of uh, as an opportunity for um, social cooperation and teaching, trying to look, try, trying to emphasize the virtues of interdependence and the common good in society. Um, one of the chapters, I, it's one of my favorites, is, is Lorraine Carl McRae's chapter, which is not directly on COVID, but it's on the whole house and how the, um, the uh, women in Chicago, uh, Jane Adams and others, uh, dealt with sort of uh, thyroid and, and other pet diseases during that time. And what their, their response was, as she points out, is really the response at the, at the end of the day has to be sort of uh, referred to local knowledge and, and local actors. Um, yes, it would be great to have sort of the state or the federal government intervene, but at the end of the day, dealing with diseases and disaster is a local phenomenon, and it requires sort of local knowledge and local response to that. Um, and that's where the most impact is being made. So it's a variety of, of, of reactions to that. I think another one in terms of the global perspective, another chapter I really enjoyed was Brian Ham's chapter, which was on Bartolome de la Casas, which talks about how sort of when the Spanish colonized the Americans, it obviously they carried uh, the plague or pestilence, which decimated the, the indigenous populations of the Americas. But what uh, Brian shows out is actually um, for some of the, the Spanish um, explorers, like uh, like Casas, is it was also a, a view of sort of uh, not just physical disease, but also 
sense of spiritual disease or what colonialism can do, not only to the people they're enslaving, but to the people who are enslaving them, that this is sort of a, a portrayal of, of their of their spiritual values and of 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 sort of Catholic Spain, as it were. So it, it's sort of the, the plague or the disease was both spiritual and physical in that way. And I think that's a theme you also see in some of the other chapters, where it's, whether it's um, Thucydides or Camus or some of the other thinkers we look at. Yeah, and that's certainly something that, you know, we've all experienced, I think, in living through this pandemic or trying to live through the pandemic is that it wasn't just about, you know, the fear to our physical well-being and and, and our mortality, but also very much, you know, what it was that we came to miss. Um, and, and I know that, you know, social interaction for so many people was something that they found this profound kind of angst about not being able to be with other people. Um, and that seems like what your authors, some of your authors are talking about in terms of like the physical and the spiritual, um, and, and how, how do we understand ourselves in that? you know, that capacity, we, we go back to our Aristotelian roots of all yeah. being political beings. <laughs> yeah. No, I, I think that's exactly right. And then it's also, I mean, and it's, it's also the deal of, of, there's also a sense, I think it, it, what you see in some of the chapters on the modern thinkers, is a sense of trying to, to conquer that, right? And this is part of the modern project, not just in terms of uh, conquering nature and conquering disease, I mean, um, we have we have a chapter um, on Bacon that talks about sort of Bacon's approach to that's that's Evan Lowe's chapter on, on Bacon, which is whole project is, is to conquer nature to make our life better in terms um, in terms of material comfort, and this of course is aimed at diseases, uh, but you also see it in the chapters on Locke and Rousseau, where it's it's not just the um, trying to physically improve or materially improve society, but also in a way sort of um, mentally or intellectually improved society and found society on a new foundation, as it were. So I think this project of um, of modernity, of founding a new society, both physically and intellectually, um, works really well in those chapters on the topic of disease. Because disease is what they're directly dealing with, but it obviously has larger implications that and and i think the author who wrote about Locke, i'm sorry i don't remember who wrote that um was also talking about the fact that Locke was living through the diseases that's right yeah and, and so when we start to think about Locke's commitment to security and stability in in the second treatise that is also likely informed by the lack of security and instability given, you know, society's responses in the 1600s to, you know, the threat of plague and disease. No, that, that's right. That chapter is by Kevin Kearns. Um, and I think he does a wonderful job of showing that, you know, when Locke is concerned about security, it's not, everyone thinks it's sort of the, the political conflict of Europe and England at the time, but it's also, the worry of, of the London plague that he lived through and which had a devastating effect uh, on Locke and other writers, Swift and Defoe, um, when they write about it. So it, it, this sense of trying to, yeah, I think scientifically, medically, politically, what security in all, in all aspects is, is a primary concern of these early modern thinkers. And you also have, before you get to the section 
um, or, at, you know, at, you have the section on the early modern thinkers, but in between you have a section that is about the ancients or excuse me, that was, that's, that's a little bit, I'm, I'm putting this in the wrong order. Section three is about antiquity. Um, and I was really intrigued by uh, Marlene Sokolon's chapter on Sophocles and also Habib's chapter on Thucydides. Can you talk a little bit about um, these these sort of chapters that specifically look at these ancient texts um, and how they respond to diseases in antiquity as well as the gods? Right. <laughs> well, Marlene look, looks at Sophocles' place of Philocase, which he, after you know the story, he's diseased and stranded on the island, and then the Greeks come back to um, because they need him need his bow to win the, the Trojan War, and and they, and they they basically lie to him and trick him to, to have him join them. Um, but what Marlene, I think beautifully examines is sort of the tension between um, the individual and the community, and that tension between. Uh, you know, acting out self-interest and self-preservation and what's needed for the common good. And, and what role does disease play in that? And, um, you know, how, how is that received by the community and by the individual? Um, and in terms of uh, Khalil Habib's paper, which is on the Peloponnesian War, he looks at the plague that affects Athens during the Peloponnesian War. And what he, you find, he basically argues that it's, the Athenian drive for conquest and imperialism that essentially leads um, to this um, to the plague in Athens is both, both both a sort of spiritual plague and a political plague as well, and and this has sort of detri- detrimental effects to sort of Athenian democracy and it, it really corrupts them in, in this way. Um, I think in this chapter, what's really interesting is sort of the notion of, of the gods at play, right? It, it's sort of um, you know, fortune or chance that you know, that plays in the roles of lives and, and, and um, dramatically affects historical events. I mean, and I think I know I myself, and I think my students, when we read ancient texts and you know, they talk about the God and you think, oh, this is sort of silly and what's going on here. But you, when you think of it in terms of, well, you don't really have control over your whole life. You know, societies don't really have a complete autonomy. They're not dependent upon uh, the fickleness of fate. And I think the pandemic has really been a humbling lesson for all of us in that, you know, that, I mean, who would have thought that we, in our lifetimes, we would have to live in a pandemic, we'd be, you know, socially isolated. It's, it's sort of mind boggling in that way. But it's, in some ways, the ancients are, are probably more uh, wise and receptive to the, the, the fickleness of life than the moderns are. And and again, you know, there's certainly this idea of fortune, which comes up very blatantly in Machiavelli's Prince as something that, you know, we always want to try to control because then we can figure out what the outcomes of situations will be. Um, and something like plagues or diseases just, you know, kind of get in the way of that. <laughs> <laughs> Um, the, the final section of the book, section four is reflection, reflections on surviving disasters. And this is where you sort of branch out from diseases to disasters more particularly. Um, and so there's the tsunami, um, in India, there's Fukushima's disaster that was the result of earthquakes and tidal waves, 
Um, and I remember following that because I was I was teaching public policy at the the time, and we do a section on on disaster policy. And there's the sort of unfolding horror of the Fukushima situation. And so my students and I were sort of following it day to day to sort of see what what was going on. And um, and then of course you have uh, nods at literature. <laughs> Um, with regard to Hurricane Katrina, 9-11, and then a sort of created um, catastrophe with regard to blindness. Um, So this is a a much more modern contemporary section. Um, And so how did you pull these particular authors and ideas together? Well, there's a couple of things when I, I asked these authors to write for this volume one, of course, I wanted to do look at sort of uh, contemporary disasters. So it's something in the 21st century. I think that was sort of, because uh, you, you have, it's, you know, there's unfortunately been so many diseases and disasters in our history. It's hard to pick which one to select, but uh, so I've sort of limited in the 21st century. Um, the second, I wanted to do something f- from a, um, Advice scholars who are, are from from communications and, and English, I think they provide a unique insight um, to sort of the human condition and society that that quite frankly that political theorists and philosophers may lack uh, sometimes. So that was sort of the reasoning behind it. Uh, it worked out sort of nicely where you have two sort of man-made disasters, um, 9/11 and F- Fukushima, and then two that are sort of by nature, you know, the tsunami, the Indian Boxing Day is not tsunami and Hurricane Katrina. And of course, the last of blindness is, is sort of a, a fictional count, a count of disaster. But that was sort of my thinking going into uh, the selection process. I think what you find in this section is is really the sense of, of people. Um, you see a couple of themes emerge. One is the theme of how are these disasters portrayed? Especially in sort of um, in a mass media culture, and, and instant, where communication is instantaneous, how are the, how are you know how are they portrayed, and how do we make sense of that? Are we overwhelmed with images? I mean, this is sort of the chapter um, by Michael Buhler on 9/11, and, and you know how how do we make sense of this? Is it, 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 sort of an oversaturated media culture, and that's that's it. Where can we find where can we find or locate the human element within that? Um, and the Sort of another theme I think you find out is the question of sort of the role of memory. How do we remember these events that are sort of um, inexplicable? You know, how do, how do we remember the dead? How do we remember? How do you? How how do the living remember the dead? To, um, to properly recognize, um, you know, what they went through in, in that way. And then finally, I think a third theme that emerges is really the sense of. Um, of identity and cooperation is that when we're faced with disasters and diseases that um, what we thought our identity once was uh, has to change in order to sort of uh, constructively meet the, the challenge in front of us. If we sort of stick with the way of our sort of preformed identity, it's, it's going to only end up in, uh, in conflict as opposed to cooperation. And, and so you have, this, you know, these, these four sections, you've got 
different thinkers, you've got different writers, um, which is often a challenge with an edited volume, as I well know. Um, and But I do see a, a couple of interesting themes that are kind of embedded um, throughout the whole book. One of the themes that I, that I do see sort of in, in most of the sections is a kind of thinking about Catholic responses um, to sort of acts of God and the human predicament. I, I think I saw that in a number of places. We have a couple chapters on St. Augustine. Um, you have, you know, sort of the, the sections early on with regard to the Catholic social teaching. So that there's a thread about not just Christianity, but particularly Catholicism coming through. Um, can you talk a little bit about how some of these authors were drawn into some of that thinking? Well, I, I, I'll be frank with you. I think that was just, uh, that was unintentional and that, that was accidental. So I, I wasn't planning it that way, uh, but it was nicely, it was nicely, uh, nicely helped uh, about the volume when it came out, turned out that way. So um, certainly I, what I think with sort of the Catholic response to disease and disasters is sort of, um, is it, one really a, a is grounded in the Catholic Church social teaching of, of social justice. So, um, when when you see the chapter uh, on COVID, that is mostly about sort of uh, sort of religious freedom in the face of of government restrictions. But it also real addresses questions of sort of the common good, the virtue, and most importantly of inter- interdependence. That we're all interdependent upon one another, and we need to. Uh, be aware of that. I, another chapter that sort of indirectly deals with Catholicism is Brian Ham's chapter on uh, um, De La Casas, and so how that you know sort of we already talked about but about that, but sort of you know the spiritual implications of, of sort of uh, European disease and slavery in, in the New World. Um, in terms of the, of the two Augustine chapters, that was sort of interesting. I think one. Uh, it, Paul Cross's chapter sort of looks at, makes a case that, um, you know, that the role of women were better treated under Catholicism, under, under Christianity than, than the Roman Republic in times of disaster. Um, and then Richard Arvamenko and Alison Rosema chapter uh, really looks at uh, just a really, I think, very fascinating account of the role of sort of floods in Augustine thought as a metaphor, where floods both, in a sense, um, uh, destroy the world, but it's also a chance for people to sort of be baptized and spiritually renewed in that way. And, and their chapters they point out, which I never, I never really thought about until I read it, which are floods and, and floods in Augustine's thoughts are sort of the bookends. It's the beginning of the world and the end of the world <laughs> in that way. So um, uh, who know, I mean, who knows? Maybe Augustine's onto something with uh, climate change. <laughs> Yeah, and and you make you make nodding reference to or your authors you and your authors make nodding reference to climate change, but there isn't anything that's particularly focused on it. Um, maybe because we aren't per se in the middle of a disaster, but maybe multiple disasters that are the result of <laughs> climate change. Well, I, I think it's it's difficult for. Um political theorists, I'll speak only for political theorists, I think it's difficult for political theorists to sort of analyze a situation um, in the moment 
or that's predictive. And I think our best work is really retrospective in that way. And so, um, you know, I, I thought about including climate change into it, but it's just, it just seems to me that my fear is that we we'd probably be bogged down into scientific debates, which sort of gets us nowhere in some way. So I, I thought it better put it off to the side for this moment. But I, clearly climate change would qualify as a disease and disaster. Well, you know, obviously, <laughs> because we have all of these disasters that come from climate change. Um, but there are a lot. There's like not one. <laughs> that's right. And I think that's also makes it very difficult. How do you pinpoint it? Right. It's, it's, I think it's very difficult to analyze. Yeah. So now that you have finished working on diseases and disasters, Lee, what are you up to next or what are you in the middle of? There's something um, about Melville going on. Uh, no, nothing on Melville. I'm, I, um, yeah, he, he's. Um, I wish, but that'd probably be take too long of my life to really get figure out what he's trying to say. Um, but no, we're. I'm working with uh, actually Rick Armenko on an edited collection on Canadian conservative thought. So that's um, that's going to be coming out soon. We're just doing the final proofs on it. Um, that's also going to be a privilege. Uh, we thought it'd be interesting just because. Um, one, is there such a thing as Canadian conservative thought? <laughs> and if there is, what is that? Um, what we found, I think, is very interesting is that um, Canadian conservative thought has a greater role for the state than you, you would find, say, in American conservative thought. So it's, they would say in some ways are it's a different type of conservatism. And I think it might be very useful for American conservatives to look at Canada that's a possible way to sort of figure out where they want to go. I mean, as you know, sort of the conservative, uh, American conservative movement is sort of in disarray at the moment. They don't know what they want to be. And, um, you know, maybe Canada can uh, offer some um, some light on, on their debates. And, and anything else up your sleeve at the moment? Uh, eventually, at one point, um, I would like to get back to a, a monograph on Russian literature, but, um, you know, the problem is those novels are a thousand plus pages, so it takes a while. <laughs> Indeed it does. <laughs> Indeed it does. <laughs> Maybe I was confusing the Russian, Russian literature with Melville's Moby Dick. I, yeah. I think, I think. <laughs> equally as long, complicated. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Great respect, but long books. Um, right. <laughs> uh, I would like to thank Lee Trapanier for joining me today on the New Books in Political Science podcast to talk about making sense of diseases and disasters, reflections of political theory from antiquity to the age of COVID. This was published in 2023 by Rutledge Press. I assume one can pick it up at Rut- Rutledge Press's website. Yes. Um, any brick and mortar stores down by where you live that you want to give a shout out to? Uh, our, the local Barnes and Nobles and in and, and, uh, Birmingham, okay. Alabama. All right. Thank you so much for joining me today, Lee, to talk about this fascinating book. Thank you. It's a great pleasure.